Hello, and welcome to The Content Minds. My name is Ryan Broderick, and I am very frazzled right now because I am going on a trip at the end of the week for the first time in a while, and traveling right now in the world is not easy, and so I'm, I'm very frazzled. I, I am, I mean, you know what, I'm going to give the same answer to, to, to what I'm, I'm Luke, I'm overheated. Luke is overheated yeah. because it is 77 degrees Fahrenheit in the UK, and he is, he is having issues with that level of temperature. It is, it is, it is, it was, it is that temperature outside, but it's not that temperature inside because British houses are made of brick and that brick is very good at storing heat in the winter and it's even better at storing heat in the summer, which means the evenings inside are long and unpleasant. Sure. Yeah. That sounds sweating all fucking day. That sounds great. Um, I feel bad for you and your 77 degree weather. (laughs) It's not built for this, man. One piece of news before we get into the show this week, uh, I will be recording the next two episodes of The Content Minds from Mexico City. I am going on sort of a work vacation there. Um, and if you have any cool Mexican internet stuff you want to tell me about, tell me about it. Uh, I want to I wanna sort <laughs> of, I would love to do an episode about something cool. So if we have any Mexican listeners or anyone listening who is well-versed in Mexican internet, hit me up. Uh, I'm definitely, I want to hear everything. Welcome to the show. This week we are talking about hustle bros. We're talking about the guys who love to spend money to make money, baby. The people who are (laughs) going to teach you how to become financially free and how to hack your finances and how to make passive income and how to become president of El Salvador. (laughs) That's what we're talking about this week. We're talking about the coolest guys in the world. They're all on Clubhouse, and they have lots of thoughts about the New York Times. But before we get to that, let's talk about the internet. Luke, how is the internet this week? I think the internet is also overheated, and I mean that both literally and figuratively because there's an awful lot of people who are getting very angry about things and it's like i don't think you should be angry about this i think it's just you're going too far everyone's too mad and and yeah everyone's overheated i i agree we're also getting i think very close to our prediction last week of a not safe for work piece of content going super viral because two things have gone semi-viral this week in america that are deeply not safe for work and I think we're getting very close. Like, I can feel Wait, it. What are these? I may have missed these. What are these? Did you see the Sonic plushie thread? No. Okay. Uh, so I'm very frustrated by this thread, okay? Because this guy, he he posted this thing, and it was this huge, gross thread, and then he deleted it right before I was going to write about it. And that made my morning more complicated than it needed to be. And I don't like when that happens, you know, like I like having an easy time and he did not make it easy for me. So let me read the first tweet in this thread, because I think you'll get a good idea of what this thread is about. So cool. Justin Cousin, Cousin, Justin Cousin, he wrote thread. I was never one to kink shame until I sold a plush Sonic the Hedgehog to a guy on eBay who cut it up and fucked it to death, then messaged me apologizing profusely and offering twice as much to buy another, but only if they're in mint condition. <sighs> yeah, okay, fuck. That is that is some high-quality, gross content. So the uh. weird part is that he, he, he tweeted this whole thread about this eBay person fucking his Sonic plush, and then he deleted it all after everyone was like, oh my god, this is insane. And then today... 
he has created another thread of almost the exact same content, but done as an update. And he's just rewritten the story with like more details. I'm very okay, so frustrated. Tried to go viral a second time. Yeah, but I don't know why he deleted it the first time, and I'm very frustrated about it because like, just leave the content up if you're gonna do that. If you're gonna if you're gonna te- don't terrorize everybody with your Sonic plush fuck thread twice. That's that's my thing. That's what I think. I mean, my instinct from that is that he is lying entirely yes. about the whole thing. Then <laughs> I think it's a bit. Which is even more frustrating. I think it's a, it's yeah. a whole bit, but many garbage day readers sent it to me yesterday, and you know, thank you. I'm glad that when you read that thread, you think of me. I'm glad that that. Okay, I have another piece of ha, content. Ha, wait, have uh, have, off that, have I have I ever told you about the guy in the UK called RS Archer? No. Incredibly annoying man. Like one of the most annoying people I've ever seen on the internet. Like two years ago, maybe less. I don't know what's what is time. Uh, he did a thread about how uh, basically he claimed to live in France and have a neighbors who voted Brexit, but then didn't realize that Brexit was going to be mean they would have to leave the country. And they all got very mad and then told this ornate story about them talking to the mayor and their son coming over and the son losing his shoes. And just like a really ornate story that was this thread. Was, yes. This thread. Okay. So. Everyone immediately looked at them and were like, well, this is probably untrue. That's not true. Everyone looked at it and retweeted and went, this is hilarious because it fed into people's right. in-group uh, anti-Brexit, Brexiteers are stupid, all that stuff. Uh, as a result of that, he then deleted the thread. And then, sorry, no, that's not true. He deleted his account because everyone was like very clearly being like, your photo is a stock photo. None of your backstory makes sense. All of this is nonsense. Right. Uh, then he, about three days later, he reactivated his account. And said, "No, no, that was a joke. You didn't understand. I was, I was. It was based on a real incident, but it was mostly fake. Uh, and now he's gone on, and every like month he does another long thread, basically being aren't Brexit is stupid, aren't I funny and witty? Uh, told in this weird snark. It's very specific British way of writing that's actually quite annoying, where everything's a bit like it's very dry." Yeah. very annoying yeah uh and just every month and then it goes viral and a lot of people go like this didn't happen and he goes like didn't say it did just telling a story on the internet it's like that guy from the new yorker who claims to feed scripts into like an ai to make a new script exactly yes and he does and it, it all the, the time and he's not doing that he's just making yeah. scripts that's what he's, he's just writing a script yeah it's doing uh what is it oh it's not machine learning oh, what's the th- name of the thing He's claiming he's doing. He's claiming he's doing machine learning, but he's not. Yeah, exactly, and it's incredibly annoying. And then everyone believes they're real, and everyone has to go. This isn't real. That's not how any of this works. Right. Yeah, and he, and then he goes like, "I didn't claim it was real. It was a joke. It was a parody. Ugh, very annoying." Anyway, that's what this guy doing, and that makes is much worse than the guy who, the fictional guy who cut up and fucked his plushie to death. I've got another piece of not safe for work content that I was sent moments before this episode started. Let's it is. It is extremely not safe for work. It is okay. a video of a woman in a, t- in a tattoo parlor, and she's getting a tattoo on her leg of a man's face, okay? Okay. And Are, are, you, are you messaging this to me? Or no, I don't just, think I'm... Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I don't... Yeah, okay, I'll message it to you. Um, Maybe WhatsApp. <laughs> and and we, can, we, we can record your reaction to this live. It's 21 seconds... And it okay. really takes a turn, okay? All right. This has 2,000 retweets so far. Got it up. Let's do this. All right, yeah. So he is... Women's in tattoo parlor, having a tattoo. Okay. Yeah. As she is having that tattoo put on her leg, which is a, you know, uh, it's like a weird tattoo, but like, yeah, whatever. The person who the tattoo is of is also... As far as I, by the looks of it, the person he's tattoo is of is also in the tattoo parlor. Yes, where he is aggressively sucking her toes. Yes, like very aggressively. <laughs> yes. yes. At which point it then cuts away and then cuts back, and he's putting ketchup on her toes. Yes, he is. As yeah. he sucks them. Yeah. Um. So the tattoo that she's getting <sighs> is of a man's face. That's happening. It's a massive thigh-sized tattoo of this man's face, and then it pans to show. That he is aggressively licking her toes. Um, so this is extremely not safe for work, extremely politically incorrect. It is a mess. 
And similarly to the the Sonic plushie fuck thread, this is going viral. So, you know, we're going to keep an eye on this section of the Internet because it does seem to be getting bigger. Like it's it's going to achieve scale soon. And a clip like this will a piece of content like this will take over the Internet. It is only a matter of time. Um, You heard it here first, folks. (laughs) Yeah. Fuck. Okay. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Um, before we jump into today's main topic, you sent me an article before the show that you wanted to talk about, uh, and it seems super fascinating. So tell me about the TikTok algorithm deep dive. Yeah, so it's not actually um, uh, an article, it's a video. Um, really, it's a good piece of video journalism, which, you know, happens every few years. Uh, <laughs> what it is, is basically a an exploration of how the TikTok algorithm works using basically bots so basically they put together like 100 bots or more i think uh gave each of them like a location gave them interest but didn't like tag the interest but just like as they watched the videos encouraged them to pause on videos that, about these topics right uh and yeah and let it run and what they discovered was that uh-huh. okay take a wild guess of what they discovered what what do you think the bot that was interested in politics ended up watching videos about um uh- right-wing stuff probably right QAnon. yeah mega conspiracies mega conspiracies about how the election was stolen right okay and basically the conclusion was is that what it initially does is shows them lots and lots of basically random videos uh until it figures out what the user likes but the random videos are all very very high watch count right uh you know millions and millions of views then as they figure out what they like they show them more and more from those basically those rabbit holes like it's designed to rabbit hole people right and then as people watch it more and more they get taken down into the areas of tiktok where there are very small view view counts uh which it is exactly the same as how youtube is doing this in like what 2017 i probably still is in a way it's like turned down now but yeah it takes them perfectly down the rabbit hole uh shows them more and more extreme stuff stuff that has less monitoring on it which is another part because tiktok content moderation policies are relatively strong like they for, are for a platform they honestly are although you could argue that there's there's strong moderation policies because it's a chinese company so sure. they have to have some fail safes uh in there but they also are very strong on videos that get watched a lot on the videos that they end up showing to people uh once you kind of end up doing this like rabbit hole thing uh tend to be much lower in view account and therefore aren't being moderated and there's way more very questionable content on that like election conspiracy stuff like like suicidal ideation stuff like yeah just the really bad stuff i mean tiktok is a really interesting platform because it does a lot of this what you're describing in real time so like the for you page is shotgun blasting you the top layer of the app but depending on what you watch from there it will try to offer it to you as fast as possible and i remember like when i first got the app a couple years ago i was messing around on it and like somebody sent me a like a tiktok of like a golden retriever and I watched it, and then my For You page suddenly became all Golden Retrievers. And in a similar yeah. way, I was doing a story about abusers on TikTok, and I had a very creepy moment where the algorithm appears to have like classified my account as an abusers, because suddenly I was inundated with teenagers. And like... It was it, it. It felt like it was watching me and trying to like serve me content, and and like as I was using it in a way that I I don't experience with Netflix or YouTube. It was it's a very creepy experience. So now I, I don't use it. I, I try not to ever log into it or ever use it. I actually kind of only view TikTok via Twitter or Tumblr because I don't want its algorithm monitoring my behavior. Yeah, and it's, it's a really, really aggressive algorithm. Uh, at one point during this, it figured out that uh, basically some of these accounts, it was figuring out like exactly what they wanted, all the interest that they kind of hidden in it within like 40 minutes, which is yeah, That's insane. terrifying speed. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I mean, yeah, the obvious comparison to it is YouTube as of a few years ago when it was much more aggressive. Uh, and yeah, it's, it was, it's really unnerving and it's a weird thing to watch. I will say that some... I will say that some of this algorithmic stuff has come out a little bit before, but I think this is the the best coverage of the whole thing. Yeah, I mean, YouTube's algorithm, from what I can see, seems to have been retrained around interest areas. So, like, it seems to be very, very focused now on, like, 
hobbyists or like fandoms or things that you're interested in. So, and I don't know if that's because creators are making content based on other creators. So like they're sort of doing this selection themselves, but it does seem a little less radicalized than it was. Although I think there was a study done like last week that says the algorithmic recommendations on YouTube are just as bad, if not worse than they've ever been. So, yeah, I mean, it, I don't know. It does feel like YouTube has a little bit less like rabbit holing going on, but it's probably still there. Yeah. I mean, the fact that we feel that way makes you wonder if it's just gotten better at hiding it. <laughs> yes. Like we're not that. part of the radicalized group, so we're just not seeing it. And and this is the thing about TikTok, though, that I think is more worrying than YouTube to me is that and we've documented this a few times on this show is that like TikTok doesn't totally adhere to like the normal definitions of something in real life. Like TikTok trends, they they evolve so fast that like you're not going to get like a traditional QAnon account on there. You're going to get like a Zodiac account that's into vibrational energy that's giving you the same like child trafficking conspiracies you'd get in a QAnon group, but it's dressed up as like a makeup channel or something. Yeah, there's a lot of really weird stuff that TikTok encourages incentivize although what the other thing that i thought really interesting about this is that it, it it said that one of the main drivers of it was both videos that you pause on but vid- and also videos that you watch the whole way through which means a few months ago maybe more than that when we were talking about some of these like british teens doing growth hacking like hacks to make people watch the whole way through like that was exactly what they they'd figured out organically that the algorithm wanted um yeah i, I don't know if you remember this but yeah it, it that basically anyone hadn't listened to this episode um it was one of these tiktok houses had some british influences in it and what they did was it was entirely basically watch bait where it was uh watch this video to the end and you're going to see what happens if i throw this water balloon at someone and then they often didn't throw the water balloon at someone right so it was this instinct of like all that all that they knew that you had to get people to watch the end like that was what worked uh but they didn't exactly know why and i think it was really interesting they kind of organically figured that out without you know using bots and journalists yeah it's uh i mean it is also unnerving that like a bunch of teenagers can figure out how to do this without like turning it into an academic study they're just doing it yeah to grow the channel really fast speaking of growth hacks do you want to talk about climate change <laughs> you want you want to talk about hustle bros uh yeah let's do it So a few weeks ago, during one of our summer fun run episodes, we sort of came across this pocket of TikTok called Landlord TikTok, and it was extremely grim. It made me deeply upset, and I realized that I wanted to know more. So I spent the last couple of weeks working uh, on two different projects, actually, kind of based on this subject area. One was a piece for foreign policy about the new president of El Salvador, Nayib Bukele, who is a 38-year-old millennial who loves cryptocurrency and wearing aviator sunglasses and backwards baseball hats and having a perfectly manicured beard and just being awful on Twitter. And then we also have... I mean, that's relatable. I'm all of those things. I am also that, yes. And then I also spent a couple weeks working on a YouTube video about passive income, which is a term that I discovered in my own research building out like a creator business. Because all of these people on YouTube were promising me that I could make money while I slept with uh, like SEO farms and shit. And I've been trying to like put together a unified theory of like this new, th- this new idea. But even, it's not really a new idea, but it's like it's a newly popular idea. And so I'm calling it the hustle bro. Uh, but I wanted to get your thoughts on this, Luke. Like wh- tell me about like your own experiences in like hustle internet. I mean <sighs> – one of my favorite things of Hustle Internet was the video I saw like a year ago, and it was almost definitely on TikTok, about someone talking about passive income. And, you know, when they talk about passive income, it's always, you know, it is always essentially some form of landlordism. It is you need to own something and have people rent it from you. Uh, right. And whether that is whether it's literally a house that you're, you're a landlord of or, or something else, uh, it, it varies. But that is the usual, it is usually a link to that. However, one of these videos that I saw, they were like, coming up with like all these things it was like hey buy a house and rent it um i can't remember any of the others now but it was like invest in stocks buy crypto and then it was like 
write a book <laughs> yeah. yeah as a form of passive income i'm like wow one of these is not like the others that's not all, all those authors who make millions from their, um, their books every this, author well-known notoriously this, very wealthy this is the this is the funny thing about it because like it 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 always exists in this bizarre vacuum where you can just like create like create things with infinite time and it does there is like this entire industry of people who make content on the internet that nobody reads slap ads on it make it really seo super powered and just like collect residuals on it and the further i went into this world the more i've just discovered that like a lot of people think this is awesome and it's really confounding to me and it and it feels very tied to the meme stocks to like the gamestop pump to the crypto maximalist stuff like everyone right now seems obsessed with making as much money as possible through automation and it's funny you called it landlordism i was sort of thinking of it as like financial automation but i think they're one and the same which is like buy some kind of property whether it's virtual or physical and then automate the amount of money you make from it and it feels like everyone is trying to do the same thing and i'm not even completely convinced it's real yeah um i definitely don't think it's real i mean what's that phrase like the best thing to be in a the best person to be in a gold rush is the person selling the shovels uh, yes <laughs> like and that's what an awful lot of this stuff is like you don't actually need to make the money yourself you just need to make out that other people can make it if they subscribe to you buy a book from you buy a thing from the the ads on your site like you know one of the most like consistent search terms one of the most consistent like things that's always interesting is just like how to make money from home uh like that's kind of what everyone wants and it's the same thing that means that uh, uh pyramid schemes uh i'm not going to name any specific pyramid schemes because i'm pretty sure we'll get sued but pyramid <laughs> schemes or you'll get sued i'm not in i'm not on libel island so i'm safe yeah or things that aren't pyramid schemes but just have a lot of features of them um where you know people buy things uh hope do home selling you buy a thousand pounds worth of things and then have to sell it to all your friends and then your friends go oh this is great i'll become part of the scheme as well and eventually it runs out but it's very much that same vibe of there's a cheat way to do this and ultimately the person making the money from this is not the is the company selling you the gear that you're going to sell it is not you it is not in fact anyone selling the gear to a customer Right, and similarly, and this basically, basically, this stuff is a lot of like automated pyramid schemes. Like people are pyramid scheming themselves. Well, I think it also speaks to sort of the uh, triangular nature of corporate platforms as well, because what you sort of see if you zoom out on this stuff is like a bunch of YouTubers making YouTube content that has ad revenue slapped onto it about how to make YouTube content with ad revenue. And there's like, I've did, so, you know, I was like Googling like how to do different stuff on YouTube and discovered recently an entire pocket of YouTube that is just dedicated to teaching YouTubers how to become better YouTubers. But at no point does it ever talk about like what the content is or like what you're doing or like any of it. It's just like YouTube growth hacks, like better thumbnails, like faster editing, like ha like it's just like the abstract of it, which is so crazy to me because like, I don't know, like I've, I've been on the internet since I was like 14 or 15 and it's always been in sort of like a creative role. Like I've either been like making web comics that are horrible and I'm glad haven't survived the MySpace era or like making music, which was horrible and I'm glad hasn't survived the MySpace era or like both of these, both of these incidentally are challenges to our listeners to find them. Please do not. And then I spent most of my twenties working in content sweatshops that I was told were creative outlets for me. And so I've never considered sort of like what it would look like from the other side. Like the people who are just like the internet is a money machine and content is just widgets. And if I make like a how to be good at business book and I put it on Amazon for a dollar, like I can make X amount of dollars from X amount of downloads. Like I've never thought of it that way. Yeah. Uh, although obviously you have, I don't want to say you, you, you've done similar things. Like a lot of it is figuring out tricks that you're using in different ways. I mean, look, yes, I got very good at like viral traffic hacks. Um, Here's a good one that no one wants to talk about. Typos in your headlines do better than t headlines that don't have typos. 
That is a fact. <laughs> yeah, no, this is true. Um, there's an old, <laughs> there's a very old rule of the internet, which is created by a friend of ours, an ex-colleague of ours, uh, Tom Phillips, which was uh, slickness on the internet implies inauthenticity, um, which is essentially the idea that the more something looks polished and real and professional, the less likely people are to click on it. You need a slightly blurry thumbnail. You need a headline with a typo and you need an unusual look of it in order to make it work. I, I think I have shared this fact also on this show before, but I'm, I can't remember because we've done 60 something episodes, but <laughs> a, da- a data scientist for a very popular website once did a uh, analysis of thumbnails across the web and discovered like a very dark truth that they were not allowed to really use, which was that the most clickable thumbnail is a blurry photo of a body in motion in a backyard. And he told me that yep. they basically had to ban it from being used, and nor could they tell any of the writers at their company about it because they were terrified that they would all start just making content about backyards. But there is literally nothing more attractive to a person on the internet than that which I think is, you know, speaks to uh, the level of intelligence and, uh, you know, discerning taste of the average internet user. <laughs> <laughs> but to get back on track here, um, what I think is really interesting is like, while you have this sort of like tier of people who are like trying to climb their way up the pyramid scheme of something like YouTube, on the other end of it, you have these guys who are becoming more and more outspoken about just like being like rabid capitalists. And they're sort of they sort of seem to think that they're not the same, like the crypto guys, like the clubhouse people, like the people on LinkedIn. They seem to think that like they're not the same as the SEO farm YouTuber. But part of me thinks that they're just they're just part of like a bigger, more legit version of the same system. Oh, everyone is doing the the same thing in a slightly different way. Like it is if you go onto LinkedIn and I don't have a LinkedIn account for this exact reason. All the people who are big on LinkedIn are doing incredibly annoying things where they explain how early they get up and how all this like mad stuff. Why are they so obsessed with how early they get up? Wait, you don't have a LinkedIn account? No. See, that's why we haven't sold a show. That's why we haven't been able to turn this into a podcast empire because you're not on LinkedIn. What is the first thing you do when you try to find stuff out about someone? Go on LinkedIn. Yeah. But have you ever considered that maybe people want to find out things about you in a good I way? Don't want them to find, I don't want them to find things out about me. To answer your question about why they wake up so early. It's to check their LinkedIn accounts. The other term I like is grussel, which is uh, the combination of the word grind and hustle. Uh, so grussel posting about how early you wake up, I think is to imply that you're so busy and like present that you don't need to sleep anymore, which is crazy because like, okay, wait, actually, this is interesting. When, when I, you were, you'll remember this. When I first moved to the UK, I was really into being performatively busy, like texting at the pub, like working in my off hours, answering Slack messages. And I remember like somebody told me like in the UK, we don't do that because if you were successful, you wouldn't be busy. And I remember just like being hit with just like, like, like the like there, there to me is the difference between London and New York. Like New Yorkers are obsessed <laughs> with being as busy as humanly possible. Where like Londoners are like, I am wealthy, so other people are busy for me. <laughs> it's like the Virgin Chad meme. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, one other interesting thing, the kind of difference between London and the UK is that we have had a range of these people, these hustle bros, kind of come up with this stuff and get relatively famous off the back of it, become like influencers, uh, and then turn out to be not telling the truth about the amount of money they make. Uh, oh, <laughs> interesting. This has happened, I'm thinking of two. There was one guy who was from Wales who appeared on a BBC3 show about how like young, wealthy people. Uh, and it was just uh, basically him saying, yep, yeah, make loads of money. I work like three hours a day. I'm a, I'm a trader. They're always traders. Trader, um, yeah. Yeah, always traders. Uh, and he's just like, yeah, no, it worked really hard, but you know, then it's I'm doing really well and yeah, doing doing good on it. And everyone's like, okay, interesting. This is this guy's interesting. He gets picked up by a range of news outlets. Like this one literally started on the BBC, but also you know, <sighs> Lad Bible, um, all of these <laughs> things where people just go like, yeah, no, isn't this guy making money because of the way that British news media works, which we we've talked about before. Uh, no one really checks it. 
And then some experts go, hang on, I have got into this and this person is not making the money they are. They're saying they are. In part, in large part, because they have to function as a as a, a limited company, which means they have to register on companies' house in the UK, which is where it all is. And so you can actually go and see how much they are making. So you can see their revenue, you can see their oh. turnover. And they're not making this money. They I find see. their company and he is not making this money. He's making some money. He is a trader. But often you kind of look at it and he's, you know, they're making, you know, 10, 20,000 pounds a year. And he's saying he's making that a day. And right. instead you end up this really strange uh, situation where it just happened multiple times. There was another guy, uh, this was only a few weeks ago, actually, a guy called uh, Gervin uh, Singh Dial, uh, who spent a lot of time handing out cash, like did viral videos where he like handed out cash because he was like, I make a lot of money. Right. Uh but effectively ran a, uh, it's a complicated story, but effectively ran a scheme that meant people were giving him money and he was not doing the thing that they thought he was doing with it. Um, I see. It was sort of a sort of a scam, sort of a grift, sort of a, actually, I'm just selling something, it's fine. Uh, but it's a really common thing around in the UK. Uh, there was a, th- oh, there's a third one, actually, who have just remembered, a guy called uh, Edward Ricketts, uh, who did a similar thing. Ooh, good uh, he name. Was, he was, and he was a 16-year-old, and everyone was like, wow this guy's amazing turned out that he was not really making the amount of money he said he was making uh and yeah and it's just this thing where it kind of becomes the thing there are a number of these people who are influencers are saying they're making the money that they're making and they are not making it uh, and i want i do wonder how much that happens in the u.s as well like how many people have got a, a rolex on uh, a, a knockoff rolex and a lamborghini on finance uh, and two suits and they're like yeah look how much money i make off my thing buy my buy my plan buy my scheme I think that is happening, but I also think what is becoming more interesting, like, I think what is becoming more common are people who are already wealthy or have money realizing that they can buy internet popularity. So it's almost like the reverse. And like Elon Musk is sort of the perfect example of this, where like he basically uses wealth to buy clout. But another really interesting and like less nefarious example is, do you know Mr. Beast? Yeah. So Mr. Beast is not LA Beast. Uh, Mr. Beast is the YouTuber who's really popular for giving out giant sums of money for random shit for YouTube stunts. L.A. Beast is the yeah. dude who eats stuff, which I always get those two confused. So if anyone else does, sure. that's the difference. But like, okay, <laughs> I Googled Mr. Beast and the top two video suggestions right now are, would you quit school for $100,000 and hit the target, win $300,000? And basically his whole deal, he's 23 years old and all of his YouTube videos essentially involve like giveaway, like money giveaway stuff. And it's really interesting because like, I'm going to go really galaxy brain here, but it feels like over the last couple years, and I think it's Trump's fault, like everything, the, the difference between financial power, political power and viral power have become so blurred that they are almost now one and the same. So like if you have money, you can go viral. If you can go viral, you can have money. And if you have money, you can be politically powerful. And if you're politically powerful, you can go viral or you can have money. Like the three, it's like the three corners of the dark triad have, have connected. And now like the mechanisms of the internet are one giant lever for financial, political, and viral influence. Does that make sense? Am I, does that make sense? I think so. Like, yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's, it's kind of inherent with anything that if you have power in one area, it, it often translates to power in another area. And I think that the ratio of those is just getting closer to one-to-one than it ever has been before. Yes, yes, that is it. Like, like I often think of the internet as like nodes that are being connected, right? So like if a tweet is screenshot and put on Tumblr, that is a brief connection between Twitter and Tumblr around that piece of content. So viral content are things that can connect to so many nodes at once that they become very popular. So like the dress is a great example where it was on every single platform at once in every single country and every single language and all the nodes of the internet more or less connected to that at once. But I I also think that the internet is also sort of a process of like making permanent connections. So 
you know, the first time someone randomly goes viral, we've connected the concept of celebrity with the concept of internet traffic. So like, you know, um, double rainbow guy or Alex from target, like those events keep happening more and more until eventually now it's like, if you go viral, you be, you will become real life famous. That is, that, that is sort of, you can't get away from that. Whereas maybe 20 years ago, you could go viral and kind of stay anonymous unless someone really wanted to go find you. Yeah. And I think then with Trump, it was, can you go viral and can you win an election? And there's some debate around, you know, like which came first, you know, wh wh how that worked. But we are now sort of in a place where political power is permanently connected to a certain extent to viral influence. And then I think with the GameStop pump in January, we added the third element to this, which is like financial power. So like if you can create enough scale on the Internet, you can make basically as much money as you want. And I don't think it's going to take very long for someone to connect financial power, viral power, political power into one thing. So we should probably talk about El Salvador now. <laughs> <laughs> How was that transition? Was that good? Thinking about it, it is quite funny that Trump has done all this stuff and still not really found a good way to make money. I think that's a great place to start actually with this. So in theory, Trump should be very wealthy now. He should be the richest man in the country. Yes. He is an incredibly bad businessman and does not seem to understand that he could have just like he could have just minted tweets into NFTs, man. Like, think about that. <laughs> think about that. Yep. <laughs> like he, he could have so made he could have made hundreds of millions of dollars. He could he could have outsold people if he had minted the Kofifi tweet into an NFT. I mean, also, he could have just done, you know, he could have spent the next two years building up to a presidential campaign, or the next four years building up to a presidential campaign that never happens and selling $5,000 VIP tickets to people who want to get a photo with him. And he, he would make a huge amount of money like that. And yeah, dude, it's dude, so he strange. Could, he could go on Cameo and he could just do birthday videos. Like, he yeah. could make a million dollars on OnlyFans. <laughs> he doesn't even have to put porn. He could just put, like, paywall photos of him, like, wearing a dumb long tie, and people would pay money for that. Yeah, it's absolutely wild how he has failed to make any money out of this. <laughs> it's incredible. And so what I think is really interesting is, as I said at the top of this segment, El Salvador. So their president, Nayib Bukele, he's 38. He is the ultimate hustle bro millennial. And you, if you're hearing this and you're like, oh, that sounds familiar, you might know him because he was the one who a couple months ago uh, declared that they were going to turn Bitcoin into legal tender. Very hustle, bro. Very hustle, bro. And it also, I should point out, will still be connected to the value of Bitcoin in USD, which means all that they've done is connect is made USD legal tender via Bitcoin. Uh, wait, no, what? So Bitcoin will be accepted as legal tender in El Salvador, but its value will be determined by its value in USD. Why would it va its value not be determined by its value in, uh, I don't know, the El Salvadorian currency is? Well, uh, El Salvador is a remittance economy. So like they're, they've just said that they will now accept the conversion rate of Bitcoin in USD. That's what they're, that's what they're accepting. Okay. Gotcha. So. <laughs> All right. Yeah. And like I, I as I said, I, I wrote about this in Foreign Policy, and I'll link to it in the show notes. But I mean, I don't. Hang on, sorry, I don't think that quite adds up because because if you are, have one Bitcoin and it's worth ten dollars, uh -huh. and that Bitcoin then goes up in value and it's then worth a hundred dollars, that doesn't. You're not accepting it in US. You're not accepting the USD value of it. You're accepting the bit the value of Bitcoin. Like yeah, it, well, it's expressed in USD, but I don't think the value of it translates to USD. Or like, I suppose I mean, if you're using USD anyway, then. It, <laughs> Okay. I mean, there's a, okay. First of all, there's a lot of, con there's a lot of confusion about how this will work. I mean, a huge one is if Bitcoin is accepted in, as legal tender, can an employer choose to pay their employees Bitcoin in a dip? Uh, yeah, I guess. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so, okay. Another side quest here on our way towards the larger point of the episode. Have you heard of Bitcoin Beach? Cause this is going to blow your fucking mind. Oh, God, no, I haven't. I'm going to hate this. Okay, so there's a part of El Salvador. Uh, it's called El Zante, and it is commonly referred to as Bitcoin Beach. It is a 
it, it does not have an ATM. The town, it, it's this little seaside town, no ATM, but it does have Bitcoin machines and all of the businesses accept Bitcoin and everything runs on a government app that is absolutely doing surveillance on them. So, you know, any sort of hope that Bitcoin is not doing that or going to help with uh, surveillance capitalism, that's out the window. Even crazier. The entire town's economy is being propped out by an anonymous donor who is injecting bitcoins into the town for people to use and spend. Uh, wait, no one knows who the anonymous donor is. That's okay. That is wild. So some insane rich person has picked a random town in El Salvador. And this was before this was this was before the announcement about Bitcoin. So, so this was this was back in 2019. A anonymous American started funneling Bitcoin into Bitcoin Beach. So all the businesses take it. And apparently, like, it is fine once you're inside the system, although, like, prices are constantly changing and, like, they sort of have to do, like, weird, like, math about how it works. But getting in and out of the system is borderline impossible because it requires, like, downloading this incredibly janky app that everything takes. It's it's incredible. Um, and it's so fucked up. It's like <laughs> it's like something out of RoboCop. <laughs> This is so weird. I've just I've gone to their Twitter account and like the first thing on it is them proclaiming how good it is that uh he doesn't have to spend an hour on the bus and two hours waiting to make a payment because he can just pay it in Bitcoin. And I'm like, there are actually ways to do that that yeah. don't involve Bitcoin. Yeah. It's this is it's like this is like when Americans get all obsessed with like Venmo and stuff and and the rest of the world goes like, No, you just you do a bank transfer. It's it's really easy, you just do it from your phone. Right. Well, I mean America still doesn't even really have that. Like my bank account has an outside service that they use to do that. Like it's, it's a pain in the ass. It's, it's crazy. Inc it's incredible. It's incredibly funny to me. Like, <laughs> like the vast quantity of Silicon Valley energy that's going towards solving problems. The rest of the world solved like 10 years ago. Like Dude, everyone's like, I mean, Hey, you can Apple pay Apple. We've, we've, we've put your wallet in your phone. And everyone's like, yeah, we had these cards for like, like 15 years. They're great. You, sh you should try them. I mean, contactless stuff like still barely works in like most American stores and restaurants. <laughs> it's so funny. Okay, so wait, so so, so we're, like, we're, like the entire transport system works off your phone, <laughs> and America can't figure that out somehow. No, it doesn't work. It really doesn't work. Uh, Luke, have you? I'm gonna I'm gonna answer this question for myself. You have not probably transferred cryptocurrency, right? Uh, no, I haven't used crypto. Okay. I did it the other day because uh, I got access to this like NFT-based publishing platform called Mirror, which I'm going to start messing around with. And to make the account, I had to pay what's called a gas fee. And when you pay a gas fee <laughs> in crypto, it's like you're basically paying for the thing to be minted onto the blockchain. So when I made garbageday.mirror.xyz, I had to pay $10 to make it. Okay. Right. So I had to transfer uh, cryptocurrency, Ethereum in this case, from my my wallet to another wallet and then pay it. And every time I do it, it is really complicated. It takes way too long. And then there's just like a five-minute period where I have to wonder if I didn't accidentally send the money out into the Ether forever, which I can never get it back. <laughs> yeah, it sounds much worse. I don't know why, why <laughs> everyone's so obsessed with Bitcoin. It's not surprising that Bitcoin was gone so big in America because, like, to Americans, like, yeah, that is a better system of sending money. I, a couple months ago, got extremely drunk and tried to mint an NFT of the Joker saying, Live, Laugh, Love. <laughs> and, and there was, like, a point where I had almost, like, accidentally, like, lost all of my like crypto wallet money because I was like doing it wrong and was going to put in like way too much. And there's nothing you can do if you put in like, if you make a mistake, like in my case, drunkenly trying to mint an NFT of the Joker, like if you do it wrong, you could just lose all your money. I mean, to be fair, there are also many ways to lose all your money while drunk in, sure. a, in any circumstance. Sure. Sure. They tend to be more fun when you're using actual money though. I agree. Sure. Okay. Back to El Salvador. So their president, he makes... Bitcoin legal tender, a whole bunch of journalists are now heading down to Bitcoin Beach to like try it out. It is like a total nightmare. It doesn't make any sense. But what I think is really fascinating about President Bukele is that he is now able to use Bitcoin as a carrot to dangle in front of his followers. In the same way Elon Musk is like, buy Doge and you can be part of my debt slave camp on the moon. Nayib Bukele can be like, invest in Bitcoin and 
you know, support El Salvador and like the tech innovation that we're doing. And I will, I will make you a millionaire, which is exactly like what the passive income YouTubers are promising. I mean, it's a compelling thing. Like all anyone wants to do is earn money and not work. Yes. That's all I want in my life. The minute I can do that, I'm doing that. That sounds awesome. How do I do that? I don't know. You should probably Google it. I'm sure there'll be some interesting stuff around that. See, this is the problem. Then you Google it and then you get stuck in the passive income grift and you're, you're, you know, and it's like the, to me, everyone sort of thinks like, okay, the future of politics are people like Trump. And that might be true. You know, we might have like Marjorie Taylor Greens and we might have, you know, is, are there any like young shitheads in your government right now that people are like keeping an eye on? Uh, we got a couple. Uh, they tend to be like, uh, not like wild racists and more just incompetent people who keep walling and walking into things. Oh, okay. Well, I'm sure like those people are, you know, they're going to be like Trumpy and we'll have the Trumps and I'm scared about the Trumps, but I'm also extremely frightened of this like new sort of hustle bro populace, this new sort of like pyramid scheme, like politician, this person who's, who, who, who rebuilds your country as a multi-level marketing scheme. Like that person to me is very dangerous. And I think for the first time in a long time, way more powerful because like internet platforms really favor that sort of thing. I think internet platforms favor it. And I think it's also dangerous because it has kind of rejected a, I don't say a social democracy that necessarily existed, but certainly some of these social bonds that the vast majority of people are no longer seeing the idea of, ah, oh God, without sounding like, I'm romanticizing a uh, wage slavery. Um, fair days work for fair days wage. You know, like that is kind of the 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 that is the like the ethos the world has always worked on, uh, and people are sort of rejecting that in the favor of basically saying like, provided I get what I'm owed, and the, then the person next to me gets what they're owed, and the person next to me gets what they're owed, everything's fine, and it's slightly rejected in favor of a, a personal approach to things, which is much more like I will get mine. And I'm not that bothered about where that comes from. Uh, and yeah, I, I, right. I mentioned before this, this grotesque landlord influence that we have in the UK, a guy called Samuel Leeds, who the other week put out a video that was um, with Crept, the Grime star, which is disappointing partly because he's a Grime star, but equally Crept is not, has never been one of the most like politically active ones. So it's not nearly as surprising as it would be. It would have been if it was like uh, Stormzy or JME or someone. Um, okay. But one of the things that he came across was like, oh, he's got a free house. That, and he's figured out he's got a free house. And then he listened to it. And of course, what's happening is like, it's a free house because someone is paying him more in rent than he is paying in a mortgage. So it's like, it's not a free house. Someone else is paying for it, which I is the entire principle of landlordism. Um, and yeah, it, doesn't, it kind of doesn't matter or like where you come from. It is, what you're doing is it's rentier capitalism. No one owns anything. Everyone just gets their money from someone else. And it effectively functions kind of like a pyramid scheme that at some point, like all the money is going to the top. And at some point we're going to run out of people and then everything falls apart. I think that's, that's it. Like the internet is allowing people to create pyramid schemes that have nothing. And if they go viral enough or get big enough, they can use that to hijack politics or, or, industry or special interest you know areas and you can't escape it yeah and on a totally unrelated note you should subscribe to our patreon uh it's <laughs> <laughs> i mean i think this is the this is the most frustrating thing about this which is like if you want to make money on the internet right now there really aren't a lot of ways to get around falling into this stuff like the creator economy in many ways is just sort of a euphemism for like i think i called it like uber content or like content ubers but it's like you're making stuff for an algorithm that you don't have any control over it doesn't pay you any any benefits or health insurance or any job security and there is someone above you and in this case it's more popular users and then above them are even more popular users and then above them are even more popular users and then above them are the and above them are the chinese government <laughs> and then above them are the people who are powering tiktok and 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 you know feeding you uh videos of golden retrievers that believe in vibrational energy and it just it, it is exhausting because the internet is fun and i like it and i want to like it and i want to keep making stuff 
and I don't want to get a real job, <laughs> whatever that even is. Because also, if you say, like, I don't want to get a real job, it's like, but if you get a real job, you're just going to be doing this for a company because the com- because companies that make content are part of this system, too. Like, if you work no, no, in the... Cause, me- cause eventually, you can save up enough money that you can buy a house that you can rent out, and then you have a free house. <laughs> like... This is the thing, like, like the people who are like, oh, I don't want to be a YouTuber. I want to like work at a real company. And then it's like, okay, well, you're just making like internet articles for the company that is part of the same system because Facebook and Google own everything. So it's just I mean, like, I think, what people, I, th- I think what people mean is they kind of want to be part of a company that makes a thing. Like at some point you, right. something comes in the front door and something goes out the back door and it's a different thing. And it's like, I've made a table or whatever it is. Oh, you're saying that everyone just like wants to move to the woods and like knit and like make furniture? I think everyone would be a lot happier if we all produced well, not obviously not all tables, but you know, like everyone worked physically and made physical things. Like that's such a that's such a fucking like load of shit. That whole like let's move to the woods <laughs> and like like Walden Pond nonsense. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You can you can make you can make the you can make tables in the city. Like it's fine if you work in a factory making tables in the city. Fine. You just gotta you just gotta have a thing that comes out of it at the end. Oh, I see. You you just have to make tables. That's that's what a real job is, yeah. is making tables. Because the problem the problem is now is that what you end up with is you end up with two people making the tables and 10 people doing the marketing for the tables and 20 people doing the distribution. <laughs> you the just made a pyramid scheme again. Doing... Exactly. And, you could and advertise your tables on end. Instagram and you could teach people how to make better tables. Yeah. And at the base end, you've just got two people making the tables. Look, don't get me wrong. I'm a guy from Massachusetts with a beard. I have dreamed <laughs> about living in the woods. <laughs> sure, <laughs> that sure. has happened to me in my life. But I do think it's like it's it's just as fake as anything else. Speaking of fantasies and, and, and things that, you know, aren't going anywhere, we need to talk about the Marvel Universe now. So yeah. if you would like to end this week's episode here, be um, that, that sounds great. Thank you for listening. I can't believe you – sorry, I'm sorry. I can't believe you led into this with, like, fantasy uh, and things that aren't going anywhere rather than capitalism that's drawing you in with a promise that it never fulfills. Oh, that's a better transition. Let's use that one. So speaking of capitalism giving you a promise that it never fulfills – we're going to be talking about the Marvel Universe now. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. If you want to end it here, that's totally fine. Uh, if you are interested in hearing us talk about The Matrix, uh, you can head over to our Patreon, patreon.com slash thecontentminds. It definitely isn't part of a passive income scheme, I swear. Um, but you can check that out. And uh, without further ado, let's head to the spoiler zone. Warning. We are Entering the Spoiler Zone. When we last spoke, you had not seen the final episode of Loki, nor had you seen Black Widow. Talk to me. Tell me your thoughts. Well, I have now seen both. Um, I will start with uh, Loki, which is, it's a pretty good TV show. It sets up an awful lot of stuff. Uh, It is very Doctor Who. Like, the whole thing is so Doctor Who. Yeah. I never really watched Doctor Who, but I used to... It's weird. I used to read some of the lore of it because it has great lore, but it's almost unwatchable. I mean, so I uh, I went through like a, a pretty big Doctor Who BBC America phase from like 2012 to 2014. And then I was like, I'm, I can't do this anymore because the show is just not great. It's not nearly no. as good as people want you to think it is. Um, but it, this did feel very Doctor Who though, uh, with better production value, of course, and, and better acting. To a degree. Yeah, exactly. And it's just kind of like a, oh, yeah, so we'll, we'll go here, we're messing with time, and then eventually we end up at the end of time where the boss of time lives. <laughs> it's a bit like, okay, cool. Um, but, you know, I, it's a sh- I felt with all of these shows, they have been setting up, uh, uh, with all the Marvel shows, they've been building towards like a setup that they have actually given it time to breathe. And I think they, there's differing value in kind of the whether or not it should be a TV show. And my basic opinion at the moment is that WandaVision was a TV show, Falcon and Captain America was a movie, Loki was a TV show, and Black Widow was a TV show. 
interesting. Black Widow to me did also feel like a Disney Plus show. That's so interesting. I felt the exact same way. It felt serialized. And I there are chunks of Black Widow that I think are on par with the best Marvel movies. And then there's other chunks of it that are just not great. Yeah, there's a lot of weirdness in it. Um, the I don't understand what Ray Winston's doing in it. Like, both why he's in there and actively what he's doing. Like, whether he's trying to be Russian, he's intimately Cockney. It's very strange. Yeah, I don't know what that... Like, Drykov, I guess, is his name? Or Drakov? Okay, wait. To, 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 To put a thing on Loki, I'm excited for where Loki is going. I also liked that the show was way more straightforward than I think what people thought it would be. There was actually no time travel in it. It's just, like, hopping around different universes. And... yeah. Like, I'm interested. I like some of the characters. I think Mobius is a great character. I really like him. I think he's just like a chill dude. I hope good things for him. Um, and it seems like Loki will be in Multiverse of Madness. That seems to be like semi confirmed. Yeah. And I kind of, I mean, I think they do have a slight issue with Loki in that they back away from him being a villain very easily. Uh, yeah. Like, like in, in the first Avengers movie, he is Space Hitler. He's so evil. In that movie, like you and I were, yeah. when we rewatched it, we were both shocked at how, and also like, I mean, he's responsible for one of the most disgusting lines in the Marvel universe. Which one? The mewling quim. Oh yeah. <laughs> which is just yes. like utterly gross. And he's, a, but he's a monster. Like he's even set up where he's going to kill like a Holocaust survivor. Like when you first meet him in Germany, like yeah. he's a bad dude in that movie. Yeah, exactly. He's a really unpleasant person. He is Space Hitler, and then for some reason later on, in this by this time, like he is lightened in some of the later movies because like be- worse villains appear. But then in this one, he's basically a full-on hero who thinks himself as a villain, and, and they do have a problem trying to like line up what he's supposed to be doing. Yeah, I mean, I think the big thing is that just like people think he's attractive, so like he's a good guy now. Yeah, maybe. Um, but I, I thought I think Kang has the makings of being. A really good big bad. Yes, I think so. I, I, I think the I I think it's what's really interesting about it is they've set him up very much that he is going every time he appears, he is going to have a different personality. And I think they can do a lot with that, and I think that'll be quite fun. Yeah, I, I as much as I like Thanos, Thanos isn't much of a character until Infinity War, and even then he's really not much of a character. Like he he towards the end finally gets to a level where he's like you know, he has motivations and stuff, but it t- it really takes a while. And then they sort of undo it all in Endgame where, like, the, the, the Thanos that we've grown with gets his head cut off right in the beginning and then we, like, have to go all the way back to the other Thanos. Yeah, that's true. It's a, That's probably a weakness of those movies I hadn't thought about. But, yeah, uh, I, I think Kang can do a lot and I think he's very interesting. And I think the actor is also very good. Like, I, I really got the sense, even though he only had, like, what, 15 minutes on screen, that he can do an awful lot of range with that character, which will make it super interesting yeah i mean although i think what was frustrating about kang is that his inclusion makes the show worse because it makes the show just a trailer for ant-man 3 yeah i mean a lot of this is just a lot of this is just trailers for stuff yeah like i I, it's quite hard to figure out which bit of the disney universe are going to be standalones and and you can make a relatively strong case that it's basically just wandavision right now which wasn't a trailer like like yeah, I think the only one that really fits it is is Wonder as being a Wonder Vision as being a real standalone. We are trying to do a specific thing with this show. Yeah, I mean, I hated Falcon Winter Soldier to a degree where I'm like, I get angrier and angrier the more I think about it, the further and further away I am. Yeah, I, I can see that. I think it would have been a good movie. It would have been a fine movie. Well, maybe. I mean, I'm not even sure to be honest. But okay, speaking of movies, Black Widow, the Yelena Black Widow seeing each other again fight scene is one of the most brutal fight scenes in the MCU. And I, I, I thought everything to do with her family was great. And I, I genuinely enjoyed it and love those characters. I loved uh, red guardian. I, I, I love that whole world and I wanted more of that. And I really did not give a shit about the taskmaster or the, or the widow program or like any of that. Like I, but I wanted her, I, I like her family was fantastic. Right. Well, what, that's kind of exactly what I what I what I what I think with it. I would have spent a lot more time with them, and I did not get. We did not really get to spend any time with them, which I think was a real shame. Relatively, like that's why it would have been a good TV show. But yeah, the Red Guardian stuff was great, and him being like obsessed with his old, uh, yeah. like 
adventures that yeah the idea that um captain america was his great rival who he didn't actually ever potentially ever fight i think was the vague implication there um so one one yeah. theory i heard and it doesn't really line up but one theory was that he might have been talking about isaiah bradley but isaiah bradley was thrown in jail after the korean war so the timeline doesn't really make a lot of sense unless the right, red guardian right. unless the red guardian is older because the red guardian goes into prison in nineteen eight, in like the early nineties, and Isaiah Bradley gets thrown in prison after the Korean War. So unless there was a moment where like the Soviets and the U.S. like had their Captain Americas fight each other, but it could be real. Like it also could be time travel. I don't know, or a variant or something. Yeah, I mean, I did. Yeah, I I did really enjoy it. I thought um, they, they had to do the thing at the end where they they really uh, annoy. The, the the thing that really annoys me about it where they they. They don't actually need to hide the plan, but they hide the plan anyway in order to hide it from the audience uh, in order to make it fun. And it's like, uh, okay. Oh, yeah. That was so dumb and also confusing. Like, it was legitimately confusing. And I don't know why they did it that way other than just because, like, they thought narratively it would be more interesting. But, like, it didn't make any sense. Like, I also totally forgot that that technology exists in the universe. Every time they do it, I forget that they can do that. Like, the mask thing. Every time I forget it. Yeah, it's really, it's really weird. I, I don't know. I keep going backwards and forwards on this, trying to like figure out like what I think of it. And I think ultimately it was kind of a forgettable movie. I'm really disappointed with where in the, in the sequence it came. And obviously the pandemics affected it pretty badly. But even alongside that, I think that this would have been a very interesting movie to have happened before Endgame. I agree. And there, to me, to me, it feels like they tacked it on and set it up and they were like, okay, we forgot Black Widow. We need it. Everyone wants a Black Widow movie. Where can we fit it in our timeline? Because we're going to kill her off. And they worked backwards. And the whole, the whole post-credit scene, which sets up you know, phase four, and I actually think is fantastic because I love Julia Louis-Dreyfus as evil Nick Fury. Sure. Does, the time skip there is crazy. Like that's a basic. That's basically like a seven-year time skip between the movie and the post-credit scene. Yeah, that is huge, actually. Because yeah, I didn't even put, I didn't put that together. Yeah, that's such a long skip. So the movie is pre-snap, and it's like it seems to me to be leading up right into her freeing everyone from the raft, and they're on the run for several years. So at minimum, this movie takes place like two years, probably before. Infinity War, and then there's a five-year gap into Endgame where she dies, and then that takes place after her death at her grave. So, yeah, we're talking like seven or eight years in in between those two scenes, which is nuts and stupid, actually. Yeah. Also, it does quite a good job of retconning the weird Joss Whedon thing in. Which one? Like the 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 one where she can't have children and it makes her a monster. Okay. That line is like that whole sequence where he like talks about their periods and they go off about being like infertile is unbelievable. And 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 like what's crazy is this movie actually retcons two Joss Whedon things. It takes one line from Loki, Drykoff's daughter, and the red in your ledger, and builds an entire movie about that, which there was nothing for that. That is just a random line that Loki says. Yeah, that's true. And then it it, it retcons another Joss Whedon thing from Age of Ultron. Which is like her whole like infertility thing, which is just at the time was stupid and shoehorning in her love of her her love interest with Banner for no reason. Yeah, but in this movie, kind of like had this movie led up to that, I think that that a that sequence would have been better written and wouldn't have clanged so awfully. But b it kind of contextualizes it in a way that makes her a whole character rather than that being her sole defining feature because she is. A cipher for the entirety of the rest of the universe yeah i mean i think i've told you this before but i find it very frustrating that the black widow of the beginning of the avengers movie the 2012 one and the black widow of winter soldier the sort of like merciless killing machine like will do anything does not hold back ever character yeah we never see that character again and it's such a bummer because, like, imagine an action movie in which the main character, like, literally 
holds nothing back and is like the ultimate survivor. Like, but we never get that again. We never get this sort of like scrappy, like I will do anything to get out of the situation. Black widow. We get just like lesser variations of her. Basically. Yelena is actually the closest we get to that character who is kind of, you know, steals the movie. Yelena. The problem with Yelena to me is that she is at the end of the, okay, this is going to sound like a wild theory, but you know how they have kind of like, periods of hollywood where like all of the people look they have like a string of people that look alike <laughs> yeah like it happens with that uh there's that group of like actors like the the henry cavill family of actors who are all just the same person well there's My henry theory... cavill and then there's the guy that ate a person wanted to eat a person what's his name army hammer army hammer and there's a couple other like beefy himbo men that all seem like they're secretly mean is that what you're talking about yeah yeah exactly yeah. Yeah. and there's that vibe the problem to me with Elena is I can't keep her face in my mind as soon as she's off screen. She's like a dream person. Florence Poog, her face, yeah, yeah, it yeah. vanishes from my mind when she, yeah, I agree. But my theory is she's at the end of the evolutionary line that like Jennifer Lawrence was the start of. Because Jennifer Lawrence was a really good, young, talented actor. And they went and found a load more actors who looked like her. And then over time, like it's got to like her and people like, I don't know, Ronan, who are all like fine actors. But I'm just like, I feel like I've seen like 11 of you now, and I'm, I'm struggling. I know what you mean. Although I will say Florence Poog, she is a much better actress Like she's the, than the yes. Marvel Universe needs. Like, she's a better Absolutely. actress than, like, I'm excited for her in Hawkeye. I'm excited for her in future Avengers movies. I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm, for the first time in a long time, I'm genuinely excited about the MCU in a way that WandaVision did not get me that hype about. But between Loki and Black Widow, I'm like, okay, here are two things. Like, we know where we're going now. We're going towards Skrulls. We're going towards the multiverse. We're going towards the Dark Avengers. And we are most likely headed towards some kind of, like, galactic war. Like, some sort of, like, time war. That seems to be what's happening. I mean, it's good that you're excited about it, because the next one's out in six weeks. What's out in six weeks? Shang-Chi. Oh, yeah! And, I mean... This is obviously massive, like, you know, awful Reddit conjecture, but the going theory is that the Abomination clip from the trailer will be part of that movie setting up the dark, like more Dark Avenger stuff. So you're going to have someone also pointed out that maybe White Vision would be part of the Dark Avengers because White Vision is like out there in the world, which I had forgotten about. That's true. That's true. So right now we, we've got confirmed White Vision is out there somewhere. We know Val's talking to Yelena. We know that Val is talking to U.S. agent. Yeah. And then we have Abomination coming in Shang-Chi, even if it's just a cameo, but it sets that character up as still being out there. Also, two months, two, two months after that, we then have Eternals. And then six weeks after that, we have Spider-Man. And then also this year, we have the MCU What If series. We also have the Hawkeye series. Yeah. And we also have the Miss Marvel series. So What If will be canon. Most likely, What If is going to be basically what it like the 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 variant universes that's what we're gonna see yeah effectively i think it's a lot of marvel <laughs> it's a lot of marvel should, should we make a third podcast to just talk about marvel <laughs> i mean i think spoilers is is the place for it i agree um well that wraps up this week's spoiler zone we know where we're going we've got a few weeks of rest and then we're gonna talk about shang chi yeah i'm sort of like overloaded thinking about it you want to go over to our other podcast now and talk about matrix reloaded Let's go talk about Matrix Reloaded. All right, let's go talk about my favorite live action anime, Matrix Reloaded. 